Michael Frazis, it has been quite a while. You're looking fresh cheeked, freshly tanned, straight back from the med. How are you going? I'm going well. I'm loving these uh, compliments at the start of each of these calls. Uh, it has been too long, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's been a while. I think we want to make it make it more regular. That's all we always say, but there's, there's a ton to talk about. What have you been squirreled away researching, thinking about? There's been quite a bit going on. This year has basically been one big tech rally. And it's amazing how it feels like, it, it looks now like it's been rallying consistently, but it looked really sketchy at a few moments. Right. There was that period where all those banks went under and you're getting bank defaults and bank rescues. That was only in March. So it's amazing how far things have come now. I think now it feels like things have run, like things will have to reset a little bit or just like the market needs to take a breather. But you're definitely seeing it's not really, even on the big down days, it's not really that panic of last year. Like it really feels the fire went through the forest and burned all the like, what is the word? All the underwood, all the scrub. It's like a kind of a burnt out forest now. There's nothing really to ignite. So when the sell-offs happen, there's like buyers coming in. And meanwhile, everybody is largely, I don't say, you can't really say everybody with markets. Last year, everybody was like, oh, this is amazing. We can get four or 5% in cash. So everybody, and by everybody like in general, on the margin, all the big institutional players massively increased their weightings to cash. People sold their stocks and moved to cash. Very happy with the 5%. And all of a sudden that's not looking so intelligent given what's happened pretty much to every tech stock and most stocks in the market since then. So that's been interesting, just navigating through that. Obviously, we talked extensively about AI for the last kind of six months, and that has most definitely eventuated in probably the most decisive kind of way. So semiconductors have been super interesting. Uh, and I guess there's been parts of the market that have just been completely left out of the rally as well. Most stocks haven't actually rallied that much. It's really just been a handful of leaders in the tech space. And in Australia, you know, in small cap land, there's still companies that are down 90, 95%. There's no liquidity. There's a ton of companies really struggling. And, and these are names that were worth a lot. Companies like City Chic that were doing, I think it was, you know, substantial EBITDA only two years ago. They're now loss making and have gone from five, six dollars to 50 cents, 60 cents. Redbubble as well. There's a ton of those companies that just got absolutely smashed this year and have finally seemed to have put a floor in. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues throughout the rest of the year. I've noticed that one where as a bunch of these companies have, have rallied pretty strongly off their lows, but they're still off kind of their, not only their peaks, but historic performance. And liquidity is a massive issue for these companies. Obviously, a lot of cases, that's where kind of private equity comes in. And PE guys are obviously having a lot of conversations with these companies and, and having a look around. But to be honest, it's probably fair to say it's slim pickings. And a lot of these companies are stuck and, and it's probably not what they signed up for when they went to IPO a couple of years ago, and now they're basically stuck in illiquid land with stocks that, in their view, aren't reflecting uh, value and probably giving them fewer options than they would have otherwise in, in private land. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think in some of these companies, I feel like if you're going to sell, you would have sold. Like I think that, like Redbubble has doubled off the lows now, like barely a few weeks ago, where management teams have had to be replaced. They've now been replaced. Cost cutting started six to 12 months ago and is now finally starting to come through. And a lot of these companies are doing three, four, 500 mil of revenue on, as of four weeks ago, negative EVs. They weren't actually valued at anything with half a bill of revenue. There's certainly a lot of opportunity. You don't need to eke much of a margin out to make huge returns from those levels. So I think small caps, interesting. It's hard to plan because you're, you're buying companies that are with negative year on year numbers, um, in some cases with debt, but in generally, it's not clear. It's not like the perfect, the easiest 
not, investing's never easy, but ideally you want something that just grows for five years and is bigger, better, and stronger five years in a row or 10 years in a row, which is basically, or, or longer, like 2009 to 2021, 2022. That was like 12 years where there were a lot of companies that grew throughout and more or less had sh higher share prices and, and bigger values as well. This is very different to that. This is more like trying to figure out if these things are worth what they're worth and then deciding if you're actually willing to be stuck in because you can buy as much of these companies as you want, but you can't sell them. <laughs> you can't even if you buy them, even in small amounts. And so you said a moment ago, you know, AI is really having its moment. And we have spoken a lot about AI. What do you mean by it's really hit the pointy end? I guess where I'm sitting, there's a ton of discussion about how AI is going to be, how it's going to flow through to company operations and reduce costs or improve efficiency or, or whatever. And in some cases, that's super clear. I'd say, I guess, something between 60 to 80% of devs across the country using Copilot or, or some version of that. So there are some places where it's it's super penetrated already. And then a lot of places where it's less clear and, and you might be bullish on it, but you know, still it's not obvious how, how it's going to play out and how long it's going to take to actually manifest in earnings or improved margins or, or elsewhere. Uh, what do you think's happened that's really knocked the, the market out? There's a few things. I think firstly, companies like NVIDIA, I guess NVIDIA is probably the prime example that has captured by far the lion's share, certainly of the equity market value that's been created, the listed market value. How real that value is up to debate and we'll, we'll find out in the future. But you know, they're selling out, they sold out of all the chips they could make, A100s, H100s, the more advanced ones. That is clearly, they're clearly uh, going to be, they are currency now. So there was like a huge loan that a startup got and was collateralized by their NVIDIA chips. Amazing. Um, these are, but there will be competition now, but NVIDIA is just a clear leader. So one of our biggest positions is AMD, which is like a much, like half the price. Number two, the customers are companies like Microsoft have an explicit strategy of fostering somebody with at least 20% market share uh, to compete with NVIDIA. The other thing that's clear since we last spoke is we we're talking about the threat to Google and the incumbents. And it's pretty clear that Google's going to, I think, in my opinion anyway, going to stand up to this challenge and probably one of the better ways to play. Like their Google Bard product is substantially better than ChatGPT for many things. You can search it. You can. It has access to live data. It can like tabulate things for you. It can change the format of things. It's really like an incredible research tool. If you want to write a report or get some information on something, like it's literally like having an extremely good analyst that can just answer you immediately and put things in I, graphs and I have and to charts. say, I've been using ChatGPT4 and I've been trying to play around with the plugins and... Now, it has been a bit disappointing. I don't want to sound like... The plugins been... are not... I think the plugin strategy is the right one here. I think it's... Hmm. Well, I think they're, they're, with live data. They're not working yet. Yeah. The, the point is some of the plugins are supposed to browse live. Yeah. But it's just not really working. It breaks a lot. The information remains unreliable a lot. So maybe the kind of answer has been staring me in the, in the face all the whole time and I haven't been using Google Bard as much as I should have. I, I was in the early days. I thought I'd cough up and use ChatGPT4, but it's not really working so i'll have to, I'll have to mm. give that a crack i'll give you an example like one of the one of the things i use it for now it's incredibly useful for health for healthcare because mm. you can be like okay look at a new company okay what is the standard of care for this treatment um what are the mm. what all the drugs in development what are their side effects how long does it take to work what are the five most important papers in each of the last year on this thing what is the best foundational paper can you summarize this for me can you pull out the key data Amazing. can you compare i don't know the half-life or the whatever key statistic it is 
that you want. And it'll pull out of it and just print it. And it's just there, saved. Like it saves all your searches. So you can just do a chain of research on a particular company and end up with something really valuable. You can then print and study. And then it'll tell you the best papers. And like Googling around, it's just a significantly better experience to Google. But it's not just, I think semiconductors will play out. I mean, it's weird because there's two markets. There's like a struggling PC and consumer market. And then you have this firing GPU market which is like the graphics units, which just so happen to be super helpful for gaming and then obviously super helpful for crypto and now super helpful for AI. So it's incredible this run, these legs that NVIDIA has had with GPUs. So yeah, are, all, are all, yeah. all the miners being repurposed or flogging their kit to for AI purposes? Is that a thing? Yeah, is, is it fungible? I remember that in 2021, there was a period where because there's a secondhand market for GPUs. So you can actually see what these NVIDIA chips, and they're more or less standardized, like A100s or whatever chip you choose. And there's a lively secondhand market for them. I remember when the crypto crash came, those secondhand things, plum, prices plummeted. And then like literally before you could even blink, or like it, these things just like the market just flipped and turned and went straight into rocketing higher again and startups desperate to try and get their hands on it. And NVIDIA like prioritizing Tesla or deciding which of their competitors they would, because ultimately they sell to a lot of their own competitors, which of them they're going to prioritize and give capacity to. Yeah, it did. I don't know of any examples. Like I haven't really studied if crypto miners have actually done that. I think actually crypto has been pretty strong. So yeah. a lot of the miners are actually going to survive and are doing pretty well. I was, to, I was speaking to a Russian student the other day in Australia, and she was saying that her father pays for her degree from Russia in Bitcoin. And it was just a reminder like, of how useful this thing is in enormous parts of the world, whether it's Russia, China, parts of South America that deal with high inflation and, and confiscatory governments. If you had, or Africa, if you had any serious money in these countries, and there are elites with serious money, you'd be mad not to have as much as you could in a secure crypto that you could take with you or that you could transfer. It's really, these are big countries. They're talking about like Russia and China. That use case has definitely stayed strong, even as the speculative use case has collapsed and as Web3 is basically more or less demand from that has collapsed as well. well so Bitcoin's more over half of its peak. It's still doing, yeah, it's, it's enormous. Like it's, what's it going to be? It's probably close to a trillion Market capital thought. Mm. If you want to get money out of Russia, it's probably one of the best ways. Or any of those mm. countries, or Ukraine, or any anything with capital controls, or anywhere where the political environment is such that change of government can lead to confiscation of wealth. Yeah, that's been interesting. The other yeah, thing so that's been I just I just googled Bitcoin's at half a trillion, and then ETH is about quarter trillion. So you can assume the whole crypto market's about a trillion. I would have thought. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing has been fascinating, which I think will be another, there'll be AI and then there'll be these GLP-1s as revolutions for mankind that have happened in like recent living history. Like these drugs are in a while because there's not just the weight loss, which is significant. There's probably very few people in the Western world who aren't constantly thinking about their weight one way or another. But they also seem to curb like other things, like other desires and impulses. So people are reporting they drink less, they gamble less, they spend less, they shop less. From the same drugs? From the same drugs, yeah. And it was observed before. Is this like, like a Zempic as well? This is Zempic or... and Munjaro from Eli Lilly. Have you tried it? A... 
<laughs> You're looking great. I'm suddenly suspicious. <laughs> no shame. We're all friends here. I think right now everybody's hiding about whether they do it or not. But I think it's you're just gonna randomly see people drop weight. You're gonna randomly see people drop weight. You're seeing like random celebrities like losing. I a totally weight. respect that. People have already been doing that. Like they they're having stomach surgery or whatever, and suddenly yeah. they're they're looking fizzer and they're just saying they're going to the gym. I mean, whatever. Good good for them. Not I'm so, yeah, very pro just... pro weight yeah. loss drugs. People try, still trying to figure out how it works. They know some things. So, for example, it hits the receptors in your stomach, which says you're full. It slows the pace at which food goes through your stomach. Your brain has these receptors, and it crosses the blood-brain barrier and hits your receptors in your brain. So it's not just like a stomach thing. It's also obviously there's, your nervous system is connected very intimately with your stomach, but it's also happening in your brain. And it's having all these interesting effects. And so if you think about forget the monetary, money side for a second, well, obviously that's pretty substantial Think about what it would be like if for humankind, if a lot of people end up on this drug and in 20 years time or 10 years time or even five years time, the world is like slimmer, less impulsive, drinks less, gambles less, spends less Sounds on stupid things. miserable. I'm <laughs> short that world. The world was not built by a bunch of kind of sedated, unimpulsive people. It was built by the kind of risk-seeking degenerates jumping on ships yeah, and conquering the earth. Possibly. So I don't know about that. Like, well, it's found, kind there's of a new word that you'll probably have read, come across, but I hadn't called like anhedonia, where you just is, like hmm, hedonistic, like something hmm. based on that. So that's one of the symptoms that you have to watch for is anhedonia. So we're living in the world of a a brave new world. That's the dystopia that Aldous Huxley wrote about. So there's the twin dystopian visions of 1984. 1984 is obviously totalitarian state kind of control and it's pretty miserable and and grim and whatever. And then a brave new world is everyone's on these drugs and they're just living inside. This was a long time since I've read it, but they're living these kind of hedonistic plugged in pills. The other side of this world is there's the exempic drugs thing but then there's the whole ai girlfriend infinite kind of plug me into the sexiverse future that's been alluded to as well so, yeah yeah poor men like these all, all these poor men that are like commenting on these ai girls on instagram and getting responses and getting really engaged it's grim it's, it's amazing i saw this and there was this i saw on twitter or wherever like there are the entire influencers who are who don't exist the ai generator yeah. all these guys are like hey babe <laughs> whatever it's just wild well, probably it'll probably maybe it produces the market for influencers and, and i think like most people would agree that's a good thing and certainly if you have been traveling lately and you just see people just People say poor, that I'm like, poor girls, phone, like it's, it's worse than like but, constantly taking photos and take it again, different angle, different angles. Like, no, but well, there are, there are, I don't know how to say this, but at least in a worst case scenario, the ways historically there's some segment of women made money in a certain way and now they could do it safely through the screen or whatever and now they're being totally cut out by their pimps and who are creating these fake fake versions and and monetizing them entirely and totally cutting them out maybe real sex workers are just gonna are gonna be like the horse when the motor car or automobile arose and put them out to pasture it's absolutely over guys just gonna hook up to the metaverse and it's over interesting i'm not even sure how to think about this stuff (laughs) other than it sounds like that's going to need a lot of gpus for the graphics yeah we'll have to cut that part out (laughs) i don't know this is all highly speculative yeah it is it is but those drugs are going to be enormous so the next step for these companies is they're already coming out with pill forms at the moment it's weekly injection 
So I think if it's oral, a lot more people will take it. It'll be a lot easier and a lot easier just to go on and off. Uh, I only found that out recently. Like which I thing? that it was injection. I can't believe how normalized a weekly injection has become. I, I think that's totally insane. I've never injected myself. Obviously, I need to, obviously, I've had needles for vaccinations or whatever, but I can't even, and that's unpleasant enough. I find it wild. I wonder if there are any downstream effects of normalizing weekly injections in the broader population. Mm, not sure. I think for a lot of these people, they're almost certainly on the track, either have or on the track for diabetes and those kinds of drugs, which invariably involve serious amounts of medication, like finger prick blood tests and sure, all I guess kinds they're doing of horrible that every things. Day and yeah. yeah. I've done that actually. And I've sadly, done fingerprint blood tests. Yeah, sadly, so, yeah. that's the that's a future for most of us. At some point we'll have to have problems of that level of severity where you're taking regular injections or needing to test blood. That's just reality. So I guess these things actually, because they're very good for the originally diabetes medications, and then this weight loss was just discovered as a side effect. Yeah, there's little doubt in my mind at the moment that these are going to be net positive, hugely net positive for health. Oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah, whether and, and like about... we know ten years, there's been ten year studies. There hasn't been twenty or thirty year studies, so that's the caveat. So we don't know what the twenty year or thirty year consequences are. But we do know what the ten are, and you can infer that less weight loss, lower blood sugar spikes. Sorry, more weight loss, smoother blood sugar spikes. Very likely to be good things. Yeah, and I, and I saw there've been advances in, in cancer drugs and. Uh, other areas of the last few weeks. How much of this is just, is this AI kind of being applied to biomedical research already, or is it just a coincidence mm. as this kind of confluence of long dated well, streams of research? It's a great question. We've, I've tracked this pretty closely from a couple of different angles. From the investment side first, we invested in company Schrodinger, which is one of the leaders that have had limited, some success, but broadly, you're talking about a drop in the ocean. You're talking about like the, the most advanced product is in phase two. It hasn't, AI drug discovery hasn't really led to much. They do sell software to help AI drug discovery. And obviously computing is super helpful. You can like model things, shape them, just figure out what fits in a pocket. But as of yet, it hasn't been like some crazy AI driven revolution. That may come because it's not just Schrodinger. There's a bunch of companies that are, they've got a lot of candidates in the clinic. And the question is how good will their models of human health become? Will we one day be able to model the entire body or even just, it's not like you have to build it all from scratch, from knowledge, right? You just put slowly build it up from existing data. And then as you create more and more data of what does and doesn't work and which systems are affected by which drugs, maybe there is some AI angle, some big data angle, but it's not there yet. Like most of the drug advances are not coming that way. They're coming through actually chemistry, but also all these gene editing approaches and making progress. But yeah, a lot of, most of the drugs you'd see seem to be the usual stuff like antibodies, variations on that conventional drug discovery at the moment but there are some pretty exciting companies that are working on the ai angle i just think it's too early for that to have had a major effect so far it hasn't increased the number of drugs that have make it through the clinic for example is i'll make it to the pharmacy but it's definitely something to watch it's something i'm paying super close attention to because it'd be pretty amazing if those things actually start working so i want to go back to the to the uh, evolution of tech in sex subject because <laughs> okay. and and not to spice it up but there's a book you and I have both read, and I think both enjoyed, The World of, of Yesterday by Stefan Zweig. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think that's how you pronounce it. You, you've read that. Is that right? I think I we've have, spoken yeah. about that before. Yeah, yeah. And, and he writes 
there's a whole chapter which is like endlessly fascinating, which I'll write about in my newsletter at some point, where he writes about the sex workers of, of Vienna and or the prostitution rings in Vienna and how basically whilst society was very prudish on, on the face of it for women, actually boys basically just encouraged to go sow their wild, wild oats. And the only way they could do that in the city, not like if they were peasants out in the villages or whatever, in the city, you basically go and see prostitutes. And so he, he talks about how all his friends had problems with venereal disease and or girls blackmailing them for abortion or gazillion other. It's very extensive and it's quite confronting to, to read about. And then it occurred to me that obviously we had the the, the rise of technology. And I wonder whether, and famously, porn is half the internet or something, like it's just like in, enormous, whether porn, online porn effectively displaced prostitution. Speculative, I haven't read anything like that, but I don't know if that's, it's, it's a thing. And then you can imagine these kind of AI-generated images displacing that. And so you can see this um, evolution of kind of real-world prostitution to online porn through to AI porn. That's the kind of technological mm. loop over a, a century anyway just it's interesting uh, i mean stephen's like most people who listen to this probably haven't come across it because it's pretty niche but he was like an author a jewish author you can probably describe it better but he was like famous in the interwar period as it like an intellectual part of that kind of yeah European he was an intellectual author yeah he met with short he stories with freud and, and rilke and a lot of the great he's he's one of the part of the milieu of the kind of great jewish germanic symbiosis where you know the kind of peak of vienna culture which was which jews were were integral part of and and as the war kind of Duran, he became more depressed. He ended up killing himself, I think, in 1942, from memory, maybe 1943. After basically after writing this book, right? So. Yeah, he wrote this book, and 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 not, I think, I, I want to say months, but like not much longer afterwards, he he died. And unfortunately, he never saw the end of the war, and he probably never knew the extent of the horrors that mm. the Jews of Europe faced. But he was just shocked, basically, and he. Well, I think uh, I, yeah. He, it makes it so much more poignant when you're reading it. And the other thing is he committed suicide in 1942. That was like the peak of Nazism. Yes. So to him, he died seeing Nazism successful, basically. Um, yeah. There's another thing that struck me that I always re remembered from his book, whereas he talked about before the war, he calls it the age of stability, whereas there were like two or 300 years where basically Europe was the same. Like you lived more or less the same life as your grandfather, your great-grandfather. Oh, I, I think, to be fair, I, I think that's not quite right. So early in 1800s was the Napoleonic Wars, which basically ravaged Europe. But I think in the kind of decades preceding him, so from the late 1800s, it was pretty peaceful. And it was, and, and that was a peak of kind of global cultural and kind of economic trade. And I think that was the kind of world mm. he grew up in and that kind of bubble of, of, of peace. And obviously that was shattered in in World War One, as the kind of finest men of every nation were trained to the on new technology, the trains to the front lines to to be slaughtered, which kind of broke that bubble for the world. And he writes. Then I'm, quite I'm convinced about it radicalized that. that generation. Like you can't just put you know, totally. ten million in arms in violent violently murdering each other and not have completely like they're, they're just wired. They would have been wired differently after those World War One experiences. It's one yeah. of the worries about what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, and also you could argue to some extent the Iraq and Afghanistan war in the United St States, the way that changed their culture in ways that probably aren't really appreciated enough. 
Uh, I actually think the last couple of decades have probably, because geopolitics have been ha, have been in the shadow of the Iraq and uh, Afghanistan wars and their kind of failure and their, the kind of broken promises of, of their genesis and the ugly way in which they were started. And actually, I think the biggest geopolitical error uh, in recent times has been extrapolating from those mistakes. They did not signal U.S. decline and decay. I think... U.S. seems stronger than ever. It's at the forefront of all these technologies we have discussed, which are really potentially hastening on this industrial age or or these kind of new S-curves in technological uh, evolution, if we don't want to overstate it. And yes, the U.S. has massive problems, but China's got bigger problems. Russia's got way bigger problems. Europe's asleep at the wheel. Africa's kind of nowhere. Australia's basically riding on the uh, coattails of the U.S. And personally, I think the biggest geopolitical mistake has been over-extrapolating from U.S. failure in the Middle East, because that's just been a blip, and actually the U.S. is going stronger for longer. The strong point, talking to this podcast before, I can't believe this AI thing came from Silicon Valley. And those people, the people that did it were literally like the heart of Silicon Valley. And just once again, the revolution happened there, despite yeah. all the money that's been spent in uh, Europe, in England, in I think it's made me super. Yeah, to be fair, the UK is punching well above its weight, and, you know, and there are spots around the world that that are doing well. And, and maybe China's kind of a dark horse. Maybe they're employing a bunch of brilliant people and spending a ton of money on doing interesting things, and something will happen. But we haven't really seen any signs of that, frankly. And and yeah, the US is just not. not and this was in COVID as well. The US just developed this amazing kind of vaccine in a few days. A huge kick, free kick, basically. And then not free kick, that's a function of the kind of talent and social, cultural, technical infrastructure know-how that exists there. And now that's being deployed to all these new kind of miracle technologies. How could you not be deeply bullish the US? And it's made me, I've always been very bullish Australia. I think we've got, we've got very strong institutions, one of the oldest democracies. We were a stable nation and we've got a great lifestyle but we don't we actually don't really meaningfully participate in those kind of technological frontiers and i'm not sure we can we have historically a little bit we've developed barnick year and whatever like bits and pieces but not so much recently and and i just see the us is basically subsidizing the whole world not just with its military but also with its technological investment yeah, they certainly do. Healthcare, they certainly do. Like it's the high US prices everyone complains about that subsidize the rest of the world. Like that's what funds the development. Look, I think Australia is just like the size of a medium-sized US state. So yeah. our contribution will always be, be in line with that. But one thing that scares me is, is how the world's population in so many places is decreasing. And there's a really strong and powerful movement. It seems to be much stronger in the UK, United Kingdom, from my experience. But like a lot of people there think, if you chat to them, they're like, oh, I don't know if I should have kids because of the environment. That's like a, box, a completely standard thing to say. It's, so it's these like are the David, friends of yours. These are people, because I see this online. It's but, the David you know, Attenborough. It's the David Attenborough generation. Yeah. It's yeah, just a, it's, it's just assumed. Like, I'm sure if anyone stopped to think, that probably would change that. But that's like the default. That's like the kind of... I'm making as many children as God will give me and my wife <laughs> will give me. <laughs> Same thing, let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> but I've always wondered, because let's say so many things are a function of numbers. So let's say Australia's got 20 million people, roughly. I'm just using rounding. Yeah. So our leaders in each field is like one in 20 million. 
Whereas in China, they'll have the one in a billion genius. Or in the EU, there'll be a one in a billion genius. But if that population shrunk to a billion, then like all of a sudden you lose that. Or even look at this LK99 thing, this, this superconductor that has been apparently discovered, how many labs there were, like the big population you need to have labs. Can you explain this to me? So I've kind of seen this floating rock thing. What actually is it? Ah, uh, look, if I could explain superconductors properly, I'd be <laughs> but, but not, let's not, we don't need to like, don't explain yeah. the physics. Look, I'll like, tell you, yeah, it's, some it's easy. Like one of the first experiments I did at Oxford was to make a superconductor and it's cool because you put on a magnet and it floats. So that thing okay. that they've made, you can actually do that in any normal lab. You can probably make one of those. So what's um, special about what's going on in the current moment? The, the special, there's two And if two you don't things. know, that's fine. I'll, I'll really just give you a take and it's obviously going to be a standard classic guys doing podcast take <laughs> yeah all of this by the way is just two guys shooting the breeze so don't shoot us <laughs> um yeah obviously the temperature's a huge thing like how warm it can be and they're saying they can they, they did it like basically at room temperature it's clearly a new class so there's been like this whole classes of these materials it looks like there's a new class of these it was verified experimentally which makes sense so it should work and there's been early indications and like blurry videos of people that have apparently made it, but no one's been able to make it consistently. So nobody really knows. And what kind about of flows from this? Okay, so they make some new superconductor at room temperature. I don't know what temperature a regular <laughs> superconductor operates in. Let's say I presume it's really cold or something. And, and, and so what, what flows from here? Why do we care? Look, there's a lot of hype about it. It'll certainly enable like really advanced technologies. Simply if you could just utilize that levitating property that it has. So you could have trains, for example, which basically float and have no resistance and get hmm. around. What's another right. really basic thing that comes from first principles? The whole point is that like there's no resistance. So energy transmission becomes really efficient, potentially extremely efficient. These are all like like incremental things. It's not, I don't think it's like AI in the sense you'll see, I don't, I don't think you'll see anything in your actual day-to-day -day life for an extremely long time, but it's really exciting from a science perspective. I don't think there's, for example, even money to be made because I think the patents will probably roll off before there's any serious things done. But that doesn't mean, this is like an academic thing at the moment. I think people are just going to have to study this and figure out how to make it consistently and then optimize it. But it seems like these guys made it by accident in 1990, what was it, LK99, 99. Hmm. And then have spent like the last, ever since then, tried to recreate it and haven't. But now they have with a bit of funding. And there's going to be huge debates over who's responsible for it. I think they've done the right thing. Calling it LK99 after their two names in the year makes it pretty hard to deny who it is. And that's broadly accepted that it's theirs. But it hasn't been verified yet. I think it's like, what will it be? It just reminds me of something like fusion, which is possible and so close, but so far. Or quantum computing, again, so close, so far. You can make these things. Is it in our daily life? No. Will it potentially in our lifetimes just be everywhere? Yes. And for hmm. example, quantum computing, will that then invalidate all cryptography and all that will have to be redone and have all these like huge consequences? Yes. But it's not something, It's I think it's just something you watch as a spectator from here. It's not like AI where I think every, it's not incumbent on everybody to make it as much use of that, these powerful new tools as possible. But we shall see. I could be wrong. I could be underestimating the impact of this and how fast it's going to move now because a lot of money and a lot of tensions on it. And it the seems same. to be done very collaboratively and through social media as well. When people are synthesizing this and they're doing it live. And then so they're doing live experiments, yeah, replicating yeah, it live cool. in like Twitter spaces and 
filming it live and people are collaborating and telling them how to improve. Speaking uh, of, that seems Twitter new. seems to be shooting on all cylinders and Threads seems to be nowhere. And I'm totally biased because I just churned off Threads. It just seemed very boring and Twitter just seems to be powering ahead. So not empirical and it's just purely yeah. my kind of experience. Yeah, but, it's hard for um, li- yeah, it's hard for lightning to strike twice. And you've got that well, social graph. I don't know. There's no one better at doing it. I just, so I, I think it's, yeah, it's hard to replicate Twitter's special like brand of degeneracy, but also I just think that like the whole, I think there's no one better place to replicate social networks than Zuck. And I just, but I just don't think Instagram people care about tweeting stuff. I think they're better at just pictures and that's how most of humans are. And Twitter's for a really weird niche set of humans. Yeah, incredibly addictive though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, I, yeah. I reckon we've got to leave stuff to talk about next time because we're covering the whole universe of cool things that are going on. And at this breakneck speed, I'm sure there'll be more stuff to talk about. Yeah, there's been some pretty interesting results from reporting seasons. So maybe that's a good place to go next time. Let's do it. Let's do it next week. Sounds good. Great to chat again, Misha. Great to chat.